In the world of comic book storytelling, some tales are so massively important, they require being told outside of their normal ongoing titles. Whether revolving around a single character, a team of heroes, or encompassing the fate of the universe, these stories are as important as the rest of the books that come out monthly. The following is no exception. Bridging the gap between comics and audio entertainment media, my big fat poll list is proud to present a podcast mini-series. You've heard of the Avengers, the Justice League, the X-Men, Teen Titans, Guardians of the Galaxy, Defenders, the Legion of Superheroes, even the Watchmen. But what if we told you that there was another team of colorfully clad heroes that you've never heard of who are equally as influential to comic books and the industry as a whole? Who is this mystery team, you ask? Archie Comics' very own stable of masked heroes, the Mighty Crusaders. Welcome to part three of our special five-part miniseries, this time revisiting one of the most beloved relaunches of the Mighty Crusaders, the Red Circle Comics line. We'll investigate the impact that this run had on a generation of comic fans and creators, analyze the line's unfortunate fall and cancellation, and examine the Mighty Crusaders' influence on Alan Moore's Watchmen as we jump into the 80s with the Red Circle relaunch. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, for the third part now of our Mighty Crusaders five-part miniseries. I am your host, Dr. Impact, and today I am joined by... Hello, it's the mysterious Mr. X, back yes, again. Back again, sitting right across the table from me. I can't get enough of the Mighty Crusaders. That's right, that's right. Now before, when we were talking a couple of episodes ago, mm-hmm. you had talked about your introduction to these characters. Yes, and it's all, I blame you. And yes, it was all my fault all because fault. of the, and yeah, now, now, now this stuff will all be fairly new information to you, but before we get into all of that, there is a little something that uh, you and I, I think, should address at this point in time since we are about to talk about the Red Circle line. Yes. I think this is a good time for you and I to begin to talk about our latest project in our what you, civilian, civilian guys, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what you would call it. Secret identities? I don't know. Yes, our, our Clark Kents, yes. our Bruce Waynes. Yes. We are the founders of a film production company located in the Midwest, and we've uh, we've produced a, a number of things, and including a feature film and a few music videos and, and what have you, but we are getting ready to make our first fan film. Yes. And it is a film that is called The Red Circle Investigations, a Mighty Crusaders fan film. Now, this will be the very first Mighty Crusaders fan film that's ever been made, as far as I can find. Mm-hmm. It fits, too, because whereas the Mighty Crusaders and these characters are responsible for a lot of firsts in comics, I feel like it's our responsibility to be the first to bring a Mighty Crusaders fan film 
to the world. I yes, I, I do too. And and obviously we would not be working with the same kind of budget as Marvel Studios oh, or, no. or someone like that. It's a fan film, guys. But by the same token, I've always wanted to originate something like this mm-hmm. on film, both as a director and an actor, and I'm sure Mr. X y- you feel the same. Well, because there's no money in fan films. No, no. For, as a as a right. career, there's no money in it. I mean, you can do Indiegogo campaigns, you can do fundraising campaigns yep. to get the thing done, but you're not making any money. No. There's never been any kind of real reason for us to produce and direct a fan film until I, I think you 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 early 2019, you just you'd had enough and you were tired of these crusader characters not getting their due. So you decided you were going to pull the trigger. Yeah, it really did come down to I I was searching the internet and trying to find I wanted to watch a Mighty Crusaders fan film. I, I didn't care if it was on the Black Hood or the Shield or who it was. I just Somebody. I wanted to watch one. Right. And I couldn't find one. So yeah, so I decided, okay, well, then I will make one that I can then watch <laughs> whenever I wish. If I'm not tired of it by the time I'm done making it. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you put out the call to arms, you do Crusaders Assemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. And and we've gotten together. It's a, it's a tight-knit group. Yep. Things are going well. There's a great script. There's a lot of characters that are going to appear. We're yep. all over social media. Yep. It has its own Facebook page, its own Twitter account, its own Instagram. Yeah. So you can follow it all on there. The official website will be launching shortly. Yes. Um, hopefully, we'll see, but hopefully by the time you're actually listening to this, the website will actually be up and live. That'll be great. Uh, which would be awesome. We'll be able to share all kinds of behind-the-scenes photos and update videos along the way. Uh, we've, we've already got images out there of mm-hmm. the S.H.I.E.L.D. costume, which has begun production. We have designs for some of the other characters. Uh, a couple of little spoilers for you here. We will be doing the Jaguar in the film. The female Jaguar. Yes. And maybe even and the male maybe even Jaguar. Ralph Hardy. If you want to learn more about Ralph Hardy, you know, obviously check out our previous episode. We'll go into detail on him in episode two of this miniseries that focuses on the Mighty Comics era. But we'll also feature a few villains. One that we haven't really overly publicized just yet few places here and there but one villain that we will feature in the film is the eraser i will mention before you know we get anything into anything there that we are going to take a few liberties with this obviously you're listening to this podcast you know that the history of these characters is very varied almost different in every iteration that that has come out yes almost different every time so they're unlike marvel and dc there is no one definitive iteration to pull from for a fan film. I mean, unless you're going to just do one on Red Circle or you're just going to do one on Impact or what have you. Well, we figured, well, why limit it? Why limit it? Yeah, and why limit the audience? You Mm -hmm. know, we want all fans of the Mighty Crusaders to enjoy us. So we are picking aspects from every incarnation. Yes. But as, as a result of that, there are then a few liberties that need to be taken to explain things here and there. So the eraser is in it. He will look recognizably as the eraser. You'll be able to pick him out immediately, (laughs) but he is a little different than the eraser from the Mighty Comics and from what we're about to talk about in detail today. 
to see the progress on the costumes, to see the changes we are making for practicality purposes to characters like Eraser and Walter Whitney and, and others that will show up in the film, just be sure to follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mightycrusadersfanfilm. And we will have this link for you in the show notes as well as on our website at mybigfatpolist.com. But you can also get updates from us on Twitter and Instagram on the official Red Circle Investigations pages there, in which links to those will be included in the show notes as well on this episode. The Red Circle History. Before we really get into the history, I do want to kind of touch a little bit on where the world was at this time. Okay. And and particularly for this episode, where the world of comics was at this time. Now, the Mighty Comics era had ended in the late 60s, mm-hmm. and it was done. And everything kind of went dark for a little while. Marvel Comics started to really take over. I mean, DC's sales were down. Vietnam was becoming a thing. And, uh, you know, the fear that that was was bringing to the world. The civil rights movement was in full swing by the time it ended. You know, it was going into a very, very different time. And as we got into the 70s, comic books started to find ways to get around the comics code. Right, yes. And they started to find a way into doing horror comics, primarily. Even Marvel, specifically, was getting into it. With things like Tomb of Dracula, and then eventually Man-Thing, and Werewolf by Night, and... and Morbius, the oh, yes. living vampire. Yes, Morbius, the living yes. vampire. You know, DC had Swamp Thing coming in during that era. I mean, it was, it was a very dark, kind of horror-influenced period. Mm-hmm. In comics then, and we were making that transition from the Silver Age into the Bronze Age, yeah. which I, I believe most people kind of consider the death of Gwen Stacy the beginning of the Bronze Age. I think that hmm, is generally okay. what most people kind of look at as the snap heard around the comic industry, <laughs> um, if you will. So yeah, that's right. We're going dark. Yeah, we're going dark, <laughs> but only briefly, because then we'll make it light again. But yeah. anyway. And and Archie was no different. So so that was kind of the state of things, you know, and people's eyes were opening up. We were getting away from the innocence of the 50s and 60s, and there was a much more cynical approach to things that was beginning here. And it was very evident in, in the Archie books as they began to launch a new line, a new imprint called Red Circle Comics. Hmm, okay. And the initial thought there was that they would get into the horror comic scene. Why not? Along with everything else. Right, why not? They started with, uh, and they did crime stuff like Super Cops, I think, which lasted an issue or two. (laughs) You know, so they did other things that, that fell under the Red Circle banner. But they really kind of started it off with the Chilling Adventures in Sorcery, which lasted, I want to say, five issues. And it was basically like Tales from the Crypt. It was a horror anthology book. I like the fact that, that it started off with sorcery and chilling adventures because they bring modern day, they've brought yep. the chilling adventures of, of Sabrina. Sabrina. Right, which you get from that title. I yeah. love I love how you can use the old stuff to accent the new stuff right. to where there's a nice melding of the old right. and the new. 
unfortunately, that only lasted for five issues, and then they changed the <laughs> title. <laughs> they changed the title just to Red Circle Sorcery. Yeah, because <laughs> so, that rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. We will show you uh, a few of these on the website at mybigfatpolis.com. But we'll toss I've, a couple of pictures we'll up. We'll toss on a few pictures up, but I've brought Facebook a few here just to, to show Mr. X. And some of the artwork inside is very good and very reminiscent of 70s horror and very atmospheric, lots of shadows. They're really well done. I think it only ended up lasting a full 11 issues by the time it was done. How long did sorcery last? 11 issues. Just Total. A, just 11, okay. From, from Chilling Adventures number one through Red Circle Sorcery number 11. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, 11 issues total. At the same time that they were doing that, a Mr. Neil Adams was hired ah. to come in and do a story on the Black Hood. And they were going to try and bring the Black Hood back. Now, the story never saw print. Well, that's sad. At least not at that time. It did see print years later. Oh, okay. But uh, at that time, it ended up being shelved. They spun their wheels a little bit, and at one point, there was even talk of trying to bring back the Mighty Crusaders and team them up with the now-defunct Thunder Agents. Oh, wow, okay, the Thunder Agents. Yes, from uh, Tower Comics. Mm. It's funny, the Thunder Agents often, from this point going forward in the Crusaders' history, the Thunder Agents consistently come up in conversation. If Marvel and DC are at odds with one another as the big two, on a much lower level, you almost have Tower and Archie. You almost have the Crusaders and the, and the Thunder Agents. Okay. In a sense, even though they've never, they never have teamed up because that project ended up not happening. It fell through. Instead, what happened was in 1978 or 1979, one of the two, Archie Comics started putting out digest collections like they do for their Archie stuff and their Betty and Veronica stuff. But they started doing it for the Archie teen heroes, Pure Heart and, and those characters. And in the, very, in the second issue of that, they did reprints of the old 60s Mighty Comics stuff in digest form. Oh, okay. But the catch was that it had an all-new, original Black Hood story by Gary Morrow that fills the book. It's kind of split up about three or four pieces throughout the book. So you get a little bit of the Black Hood story, and then you get a reprint of the first Cat Girl, and then you get a little bit of a Black Hood story, and then maybe a reprint of Jaguar, and then a reprint of Hangman as a good guy or whatever. And hmm. then it, you know, and so that's how they kind of were trying to bring it back. The Black Hood that they did in there was no longer Kip Burland from the 40s. He was now his nephew, I believe it was. And so a legacy character. A legacy character, yes. So it was connected. Okay. It was right. very much connected to the old stuff. I, I dig that. He was a legacy character whose name also happened to be Kip Burland. <laughs> <laughs> no, not so, even a junior, even though it was no, a nephew? No, 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 just Kip. Yeah. But, but I don't think he was Matt, because the old one was Matt Kip Berland, and they ah, called him okay. Kip. All right. I think this one, I believe his was name just was just Kip, Kip I want to say. I, I could and be wrong. And that's how you get away with it. I guess so. <laughs> so this guy in the, in the story, he ends up going to visit his uncle, mm -hmm. who's an older man. He discovers that his uncle was the Black Hood at one time, and he tells him basically the story, and it's here 
that they retcon that the Black Hood has been around for centuries, or at Ah. least decades, at the very least, and that it's more of a lineage that has been passed down from person to person to person. And so Matt was just the most recent to be the Black Hood. Gotcha. Okay. At this point in time, if I remember correctly, I want to say that Matt was killed at some point, and Kip ends up trying to take over that persona. But that, that comes later. As of right now, he just passes the hood on to Kip, and Kip becomes the new Black Hood because right. he's younger and he's you know he's more fit for the superheroine yeah. is a young man's game. Kitty. But he's he's changed now. He's not this. He doesn't look the same. He doesn't wear the same costume now. He's wearing all black leather. Ah, all yeah. black leather, black leather jacket. I don't know if it's black leather pants or jeans, but you know they're dark pants, whatever. Boots. He rides a motorcycle, and the mask is different. The mask is no longer the black superhero mask. Now it looks like a ski mask. Mm, okay, okay. The only problem with that, with changing the mask, is that when Matt is telling him the history of the Black Hood, they show flashbacks of previous Black Hoods. They're all wearing something that resembles the ski mask. Ah, so they've, retconned. they've retconned the old superhero mask completely out, mm. and that's gone. But that's really where the next relaunch starts, and kind of stops. It kind of stalls out after that. Oh wow! Okay. I don't know if it wasn't if it was a small print run or what, but it didn't quite take off until in March of 1983, Red Circle Comics successfully relaunches the Mighty Crusaders mm. with Mighty Crusaders number one, and this is a direct continuation from the Mighty Comic stuff. Oh, okay. It does continue. The continuity doesn't always add up correctly. There are certainly questions, and there's retconning that happens throughout. But it does continue. In fact, the new shield that is in this run is Joe Higgins. And we have now explained that sometime in between the Mighty Comics and now, his son, Bill Higgins, that shield, was able to free him from from being, from being in stone a, in a statue. Yes, caused <laughs> by the eraser, which itself was all retcon and retroactively done back in the the 60s. So now now we're retconning that and saying we're retconning that the retcon. We're retconning the retcon. Oh wow! Yeah, and so now Bill has freed him, and and now he's doesn't want to be doing this anymore, and so he's going to go off and live his own life. And I want to say that that's the last we ever see of Bill ever. I think. Wow. And from this point on, it's Joe. It's Joe Higgins at this oh, point. Oh, my son, such a disappointment. <laughs> and now and now he is Captain America because now he's a man out of time. Yeah. Because now yep. it's the 80s, but he is the Joe Higgins from the 40s. So now we have completely gone the opposite end and copied the copy. Wow. God, I love comics. I know, right? But yeah, they actually launched with a whole line of books, uh, not just the Mighty Crusaders, but they launched Black Hood had a book. They relaunched Blue Ribbon Comics, which mm. was an anthology title. Sometimes that book had reprints of old stuff, and sometimes yeah. it had new stuff. Sometimes it was uh, two or three stories in one. It just depended on the issue. Comet, Fly, the so confusing. He's gone back to Fly. He's gone back to Fly. Yes, I, I guess I should mention that we have dropped the Fly Man hyphenated name. Fly Girl, however, is still around, and she is still a feature in the Fly books. 
Although, at this point, she no longer wants to be a hero. Mm. She keeps getting drawn into things. And, you know, think about it, too. This is 1983. This is the early early 80s. The storytelling here is very different from the Mighty Comics stuff. Well, well yeah. Where, you know, they're, they're very much mimicking the DC Marvel style of that time. You've got heroes that don't necessarily want to continue being a hero because that was a thing. Then, yeah, well, you know? right, yeah. The late 70s, early 80s was all about the reluctant hero. It was, it was. But the, the most interesting thing that they did do with this is they brought Lancelot Strong back. Oh, okay. So not only do they bring him back, but they call him the S.H.I.E.L.D. finally on the comic covers even though they have Joe Higgins. So as they're dealing with storytelling techniques of the era, they're now also dealing with the fact that we have two shields. Hmm. What ends up occurring is that Lancelot ends up working more for the government. He ends up being more of that version of the shield as a soldier, whereas Joe Higgins, he's a man out of time. He doesn't have any place to go. He's a little bit more lost and kind of wandering Kung Fu style or, you know, nomad style, wandering around trying to find a place in the world. So you have these two shields, one that's kind of sanctioned and one that's not. And they play into that. They don't they don't play into it as well, maybe, as as a Marvel book or a DC book would, but they do they do dwell on that for a little bit. Right. Because the shield the Lancelot Strong Shield book ends up changing names with issue I wanna say two or three. And it becomes S.H.I.E.L.D. Steel Sterling. <laughs> As the first half of the book is focused on Lancelot Strong, the second half of the book is focused on Steel Sterling. <sighs> that lasts, I want to say, an issue. And in that issue, Lancelot Strong is killed. <laughs> By whom? Oh, I think he fell into a pit, if I remember correctly. I think oh, he falls into a pit of some fire legs. or something, yeah. And then the book from then on gets retitled Steel Sternling, and then uh, it's his book. He takes over. So Steel I don't know, maybe is... Steel pushed him into it. Yeah, I, I don't right. know. <laughs> so was the Steel Sterling book still a government agent type thing? No, because Steel Sterling now has, has been reworked to be an actor and a stuntman oh. in Hollywood. And so he's still a hero, but... His whole book seems to be a focus on trying to get the next film job. And then if, I think if after an issue or two, he finally gets this big movie. And then the whole series becomes about the promotional campaign across the country as he's making his way to California to shoot the film. That becomes the book where Archie and Red Circle were able to get heavy-handed with things. Ah. That's where they try to take on social commentary. They tried, they tried to do, to do hard arrow, traveling heroes. Green Arrow, Green Lantern. Yes. Stuff. Okay. Yes. They deal heavily, heavily with drunk driving. They deal with racial issues mm -hmm. and Drugs. acceptance. Yes, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that becomes. No, I'm asking if you had some. Oh, I do. Yes, if you like some. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that becomes the book where they try to attempt to do to do that stuff. And you know what? I don't mind that type of stuff as long as I'm not being beat over the head with it. Right. Right. Now, while that's going on, you know, you do have the primary books, the two primary books, which are The Mighty Crusaders mm -hmm. and The Fly. Those really are the books that drive the Red Circle launch. Okay. The issue is that it's very difficult to figure out a continuity between them. Oh, God, now, I hate that. Now, for fans, for anyone that's listening, I have taken the time 
to figure out a reading order and a continuity for the Red Circle era. We will include that on the website at mybigfatpolis.com. It doesn't always make sense. (laughs) I will tell you that now. It is very difficult to create a chronological reading order of this stuff because they were not as on top of continuity as someone like Marvel or DC. Mm. They were better at this time than they were in the 60s, but they were not quite on top of it. It ends up being a case where a book like Blue Ribbon, you actually have to read out of order. Because there are certain issues that take place at different times. Right. And that's that's your danger of having an anthology book where it's not always new stories. Right. Sometimes right. you've got reprints coming in, too. Well, in some of those reprints, you know, issue five of Blue Ribbon Comics, volume two, is a reprint of Double Life of Private Strong, number one, from 1959. Oh, okay. Which is great if anyone wants to read Double Life of Private Strong, but you don't want to drop a couple hundred dollars on a decent yeah, copy. It's hard to get those two issues. Because it's hard to get those, right? Yeah. You can find a copy of Blue Ribbon Comics number five from volume two for probably a dollar or two hmm. if you wanted to read that Kirby Lancelot Strong stuff. But it sits in issue five in Blue Ribbon. Well, if all of this is connected to the earlier stuff, then technically it goes first. Technically, it should have been in Blue Ribbon Comics number one. Right. If you want to go chronological. So so putting a reading order together was a little difficult, and, and some of it doesn't quite line up correctly, but but we will include that on the on the website. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. It's, it's the first time that you can really do that with these characters. One of the major things that they also did in this line was giving the Comet a two-issue series. Okay. Where they really retcon the origin quite a bit. They Mm. really retcon his whole story, in fact. So before I get to that, I do need to mention that in the Mighty Crusaders' first three-issue story arc of the new book, where they go up against Eterno and, of course, the Brain Emperor, because it always has to be the Brain Emperor, Yep. the Comet that you see in that book is the Comet with the Rainbow Helmet. It is the one from the Mighty Comics era. Okay. By the end of the three-issue story arc, he has gone back to his spaceship that he has. He has this floating satellite spaceship that kind of acts almost like a headquarters, a temporary headquarters for the Crusaders. Okay. He goes back there because his suit is destroyed, and he puts on an old suit, which is the old suit from the 40s. Ah. The blue with the stars and the red and the visor. When you get to his book you learn that it's always been the same comet. They retcon the whole thing and say that when he was shot, protecting his brother, who would become the hangman, his spirit or his energy or something dematerialized because of what caused him to become the comet, I guess, and he ended up being taken to the planet Altrox to become their savior, and he lost all of his powers there, but then... He became a part of their their world and forgot who he was for a while, and then now he's come back. But now that he's back on Earth, the the gas that's created him is coming back, and it's building him back up again, and he's turning back into the the pseudo-wrathful comet from the... Yeah, Uh, Mr. X has given me a look right now like he can't really follow what I'm saying, and part of that is because this retcon was kind of a mess. Brain hurt now. Yeah, 
But what it did do is it did say that it is John Dickering. It is the original Comet. It has always been the original Comet. So for anyone that, that is fans of the old stuff, he's back. You know what? I could have fixed that easily had I been old enough to actually write at the time that these comics were out. It's the early 80s, so I'm, you know, in the single digits in life. Right. I think if you if you wanted to try to do a retcon but not make it so as complicated as mm-hmm. that. So when the comet who wears the rainbow helmet gets his costume destroyed and he goes to his his headquarters spaceship, what we should see is the body of John Dickering in like a stasis field. Oh. And maybe he was being slowly brought back to life by alien technology. And since this suit for this alien comet has been destroyed, maybe the timer goes off and, hey, Dickering's done. <laughs> hey. And, and, and he's alive. Dickering's now. done. <laughs> and he's alive again, or he's, he's conscious again, and he gets to go back down on Earth and, and take up the comet in his old costume. See, yeah. there's a retcon that for would, you, that would, Yeah, that would have been a little bit easier to deal with. Well, apparently it didn't do so well because if you look at the covers... Issue one is issue one of six. Oh. Issue two is issue two of six. There is no issue three. Huh? <laughs> or a four, five, and six, ah. for that matter. It never made it past issue two. Oh. Sorry, comment. Yeah, yeah. It never quite made it past that. Similarly, the Black Hood, who had his own book, and I don't know, maybe this was an always intentional because it doesn't say anything on the covers, really. There are only three issues of the Black Hood okay. book. Which shares stories with the fox. Now, the interesting thing here is that that early introduction of the Black Hood from the Superhero Comics Digest in 1978, Mm -hmm. that story is reprinted in his book, in his three-issue miniseries. Okay. So if you missed that book, you can still get it. It's in there. As well as, I believe, one one or two of the issues, I think, has part of the Neil Adams stuff that never got published before is now published there. It's either in there or it's in an issue of Blue Ribbon later. I can't remember which, but one of the two books reprints the the Neil Adams stuff. So it does get printed eventually. Good. But the best thing about the Black Hood books, I mean they're they're good books and you you know the art is very very good and very realistic for that era and very detailed. But the best stuff about it is the Fox backup stories. At this point the Fox They've started taking him into a darker crime mystery noir style. Still the same outfit, the the kind of all black. Still the same outfit. outfit. Uh, depending on who's drawing it or who's doing it, sometimes he has the yellow fox emblem on the chest. Sometimes it's just all black like the Black Panther. Okay. It just depends on the artist. But the best thing about these books is that the great Alex Toth does the art. We'll put up some of Alex Toth's fox art on the website so that we can share it with you. I'll show Mr. X here, Alex Toth. It's a very Chris Samney style, almost Bruce Timm-ish style, yeah, but, but yeah. with a with a darker slant to it. A more noir slant than even Bruce Timm's stuff does. Right. Now, I, I've seen some more, and I, I guess they're not necessarily considered modern, but the Fox actually had a miniseries yes. in the 2000s. Yes, and that costume, at least the headpiece, looked a little bit more animalistic. Not not flat out like, oh, that's the head of a fox. But this is very smooth. Yeah. 
depending on there were two miniseries that were done at that time depending on which one it was that you had read mm-hmm. one of them takes a lot of influence style-wise from that great Alex Toth stuff mm, from okay. the 80s which I guess now it's gotten to the point where people kind of consider that to be the look for the fox that Alex Toth yeah. kind of approach it's sad that it only lasted those three issues because his fox stuff was great and his black hood ho- covers he does the covers for the black hood they're great but it's Alex Toth. What do you expect from someone like that? The book starts out really, really good. The whole line starts out really good. The Fly has backup stories that are on the Jaguar, and it starts to dive into the Jaguar history. They start to actually develop why the belt does what it does, why the Jaguar is who he is. Is the magic word to activate the Jaguar powers the Jaguar? I believe it still? is still the Jaguar, and I believe the fly still says the fly, although I'm not sure if he has to say, I wish I was the fly. I think he might just have to say the fly now, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's, it's been a bit. No, apparently now the, the belt it comes from some sort of god-like creature, almost. The name I cannot pronounce <laughs> it begins with a T or a V. Or, it's, a, it's a weird name. But uh, it's some sort of Incan, Aztecian, Peruvian, mythological, whatever. Gotcha. That bestows powers on the Jaguar. Yeah, right. But it, it's really good. And the art, in the, at least in the first two or three stories of the Jaguar, is spectacular. It's mm. got a very horror vibe to it. Even though it's the Jaguar and he's a hero and it's tights, and it doesn't necessarily lend itself to that horror angle, it really does feel like a horror superhero book at that point. And it's, hmm. an, it's an interesting view that tends to kind of go away as the Fly series goes on, and it kind of goes back to just being more of a superhero thing. But it, the, the early ones are really good. So it, it starts off really, really strong. It continues the story. Maybe not perfectly, but it continues what was going on right. before. By 1984, they decide that they're going to try to jump into the world of action figures. This was a company that they teamed up with called Remco Toys. I don't know if they've produced anything else over the years. I don't even know if they're still around today. Who knows? Name doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Up until this point, you know, the only thing that they had done toy-wise, there was a board game years before in the 60s. Other than that, this the mighty superheroes board game that didn't take off or do anything. (laughs) This This is it, really. They did eight characters, four heroes and four villains, and they look like He-Man toys, sort of. They're not okay. sculpted well. They're they're a little... In, in fact, sometimes if you look at them and you don't know what you're looking at, they might look like Marvel knockoffs, like dollar store toys kind oh, wow. of thing. Yeah, it's, they're, they unfortunately don't look great unless you're a huge fan. I think they look awesome, but objectively, you know. So what they did was they did Joe Higgins' shield. They did original Comet with the visor. They did the Fox and the Web. Hmm, okay. Those were the four heroes. The four villains that they did were the Brain Emperor, of course. Of course, yeah. The Eraser. And then two brand new villains that they had never done in the comics before. One called Buzzard and one called Sting. (laughs) These characters were then introduced in a later issue of Mighty Crusaders to try to cash in. By the time the toys had come out, they thought, well, let's put them in the book and and try to connect them, and it, and it wasn't enough to, you know, to sell well, the toys. Yeah. They're out there. I, I suggest to anyone to check them out. We'll put a couple of pictures up on the website along with the other stuff that we're putting out. It, it was around that time when things started to take a dip. They started to take a dive. 
deadlines were not being met. Mm. Books were not coming out on time. Initially, they had tried to do something where it would be on comic racks because so many comics were going to comic shops now. And this was an attempt to get kids into superheroes and comics via a comic rack, but there was never any kind of consistency. Yeah. And no one was going to comic shops looking for the Mighty Crusaders. Sales really started to kind of dwindle, and at the same time, Archie was going through some executive and editorial changes as well. All of this ended up getting them to change and drop the Red Circle thing completely. They were no longer known as Red Circle Comics. Now they were just known as the Archie Adventure Series. They even tried a few things where they tried to create new characters to try and get more interest from more people. Right. They created another female character, which the Crusaders always are in badly need of more female characters. It is a sausage fest in the Crusaders headquarters, and it always has been. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the only two that are popping to my mind are Fly Girl and Cat Girl. Yeah, and Cat Girl is questionable. Yeah, because she's... She, she goes, well, she was flip-flopping back and forth right, between being right. a villain and being a lovesick stalker. Right. And then dipping her big toe into being a hero. Right. Before she didn't get a chance to do it anymore. Right. Yeah, so they created a new character in the Mighty Crusaders book, Darkling. Darkling is never explained. In this run of books, they, have ne- they never explain who she is, what she gets her powers from, anything like that. So she just shows up and she's there. She shows up to help them, and she ends up becoming the Crusader's answer to the Scarlet Witch, essentially. Ah. She's very cool. I always like her when she shows up, and she's a mainstay member of the team for quite a while. But uh, they just never explain what her deal is. Hmm. The other person that they introduce, and I don't want to get into a great deal of detail on this, because this is not the podcast for this kind of topic. But the other issue with the Crusaders up till this point for sure is it's just a bunch of old white dudes. Ah, there's no diversity. There's no diversity. At all. Until now. Oh, okay. Until they create Doc Reeves for the Mighty Crusaders run, who doesn't really, they don't use him. He seems cool. He seems to like do all of their tech stuff, but he seems to be just... Essentially like the mechanic that takes care of things for them. And sometimes he goes out on missions with them, but he doesn't do anything. He just stands there. There have been issues where he doesn't say anything. He's in the whole book, but he just stands there behind them and not doing anything. Wow. Hell, Um, even Alfred and Jarvis have gotten their hands dirty and not just motor oil. Yeah. It was really unfortunate what they what they did there. And he's a doctor, and, too. I mean, come yeah. on, utilize <laughs> yeah, that right. Use a PhD, yeah. man. In fact, once they drop the Red Circle moniker and they just become Archie Adventure Series, uh, and the quality starts to dip at that point, yeah. I don't recall what issue number it is, but there is a, a point where they go up against the Brain Emperor and the Eraser and Sting, Buzzard, and I want to say Deadly Force gets introduced. And Deadly Force is a pretty cool villain. He looks like he's a reject from Marvel's Wrecking Crew. Okay. But he's he's pretty cool. I, I, I've always liked Deadly Force. Anyway, that those are the villains, and during that story the Comet returns. He, he had quit the team for a while, and he's getting really angsty again, and now he has returned to the team, and, the, and they're fighting the Brain Emperor, and Darkling, her mind gets wiped, and she gets shunted into some other world, some other dimension. 
and left to float, not knowing who she is or what she is, and we never see her again. We've introduced a new female character who is interesting if you would do something with her. Right. And now we've just gotten rid of her. At that same time, Doc Reeves takes a blast, an energy blast, to protect someone else, and he's dying. (laughs) And he is going to die. There is no helping him. So when he dies, Comet cremates the body on panel. He hits him with his beams and cremates the body. So now the two brand new characters that you've created to add some diversity and something different, you've essentially just now gotten rid of. Wow. And we're right back to where we were. It, the, the quality really started to dip, and the inconsistent publishing dates didn't help any. Oh, that'll kill you. You know, I mean, it was going two or three months at a time in between issues. By 1985, the line was over. Mm. And the Red Circle line really kind of came to a close. And they lay dormant for a little while. Until the late 80s, when Archie decided that they were going to try to bring them back again. Wow. So they were going to try and do it again, this time from scratch. This time it was not going to connect at all to anything that had come before. And it was going to be in a new imprint. They weren't going to do Red Circle. It was to be called... Spectrum Comics. Spectrum Comics. Spectrum Comics. And they assembled a list of titles and a list of creators that, even at that time, these guys were fairly good names. Now, they're legends in the comic book industry. The line was supposed to include The Fly, The Hangman, The Fox, Jaguar, Mr. Justice, and The Shield. Those were the characters that they had initially started talking about doing. And they didn't get very far, but the creators that they got to do these books and to work on them, Len Wein. Creator of Swamp Thing. Yep. And creator of The Wolverine. Steve Englehart. Kelly Jones. Jim Valentino. Jeez. Mark Ellis. Michael Blair. And a guy that people know by the name of Rob Liefeld. Wow who was supposed to do The Shield. And if you look out there, we will try to find a picture and see if we can include it on the website for you all to see. But if we can't find it, do some digging. You can actually find a Rob Liefeld drawing of The Shield, of his version of The Shield. Mm. It looks The costume looks like a mix between the Lancelot Strong Shield and the Joe Higgins Shield. They could kind of combine various elements. It was some real out-there adult stuff. They really wanted to go darker with it. Mm -hmm. The Hangman was the first one, and it is a horror book. We will try to find pictures here to include. I'm showing Mr. X at this moment the picture of The Hangman, and they really went dark Oh yeah, with The Hangman. Uh, Heavy shadows, a lot of rope. They really kind of made him more of a supernatural, scary hero. I'm thinking Spectre with... uh a little bit of this, all this rope is making me think bondage, so I'm also yeah. thinking a little Ghost Rider. Yeah, there was very much that, yeah. Yeah. Very much that influence. And the fly, the fly concept that they had for it was, essentially the fly was a disease. It wasn't a character. It was a sickness that would pass from person to person, and once you were done with it, you died, and it moved on to another person. Jeez, yeah, that it, is uh, yeah. dark. They got dark. I see. I would have done that with the web. Yeah, 
Yeah, you could do I, that. I with still that. think yeah. the fly needs to be some sort of a hero. Yeah, it's a. It's he's a, your staple. He's yes. Oh, I mean, he's your Spider Man. He is. So yeah, keep him he that should way. be the the big guy. Put him in the black suit if you want to, and <laughs> yeah, sure, do and, that and, story. And, and do the black suited the fly man. Or that would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. That would actually be pretty neat. They did, I think, make issue one of the Hangman. They did finish it, but it never was printed. Never saw print, huh? Never saw print. Archie Comics got cold feet because it was so dark. And initially, the fans went nuts from what I hear. I think the fans just went crazy. And the, the initial orders were ridiculous. It was something insane, like 400,000 copies or something like that. It was, it's crazy how much was initially ordered for the book. But once they saw Kelly Jones' work on The Hangman, they were like, nope. This is done. We're not doing this. Jeez. This this goes against Archie Comics. And the whole thing fell apart. It all got canned. Now, at this time, original MLJ creator, Louis Silbercleat, his son, Michael, was running the company. Yeah. He was the one that was trying to spearhead this launch of Spectrum Comics. And it obviously didn't even happen. So the whole the whole plug got pulled. It was not long after that, though, that Michael got a call from DC Comics. And that would change the Mighty Crusaders once again. And that's where we ask you, were you a fan of the Red Circle comics? Did you come up in the 80s with these characters and meet the Darkling and Doc Reeves? Or do you just like digging them out of the back-issue bins? If so, share your favorite characters or your favorite issues with us. The Red Circle Influence Archie's Watchmen I'm sure that that title has probably a very bizarre connotation to most people. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a reason for that. In between the Red Circle launch and the Spectrum stuff, a man by the name of Alan Moore went to Archie Comics and asked them if he could play with their superhero characters. He wanted to tell a murder mystery story where the S.H.I.E.L.D.'s body would wash up dead on the beach and you'd have to try to figure out which hero did it. And what he wanted was a full existing universe that had a history that he could play with that would not affect anything and that wasn't being used anywhere. Well, these characters just ended. The Red Circle line went under. He wanted to use them. They said no. It was not long after that that they started to talk about trying to do Spectrum. Mm. So but, the fact that Alan Moore comes along and wants to do an, an adult-oriented right. type of a story with these characters... Kind of spawns them to, yeah, to come up with that they don't idea. have the, uh, the backbone to be able to pull to the trigger. To follow through. And yeah. in the meantime... Alan Moore says, okay, fine. I still think my story's good. DC just bought Charlton. I can do the exact same story with the Charlton heroes. Right. So he goes over there and they tell him, no, we have plans for them. We're including them in Crisis, so, but we will publish your book. So he decides, okay, fine, screw it. I can't use Archie's characters. I can't use Charlton. I'll just create my own characters. And thus we have the Watchmen. Uh, but one thing that has been talked about forever since the book has come out, is the similarities yes. between the 
characters in the Watchmen and the characters that he originally wanted to use. Yes. But if you think about it, if you look, I mean, everybody knows about the Charlton connection to Watchmen. Rorschach is the question. Exactly. Yeah. Blue Blue Beetle Beetle is very similar to Night Owl. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, if he wanted to tell a similar story, and he has said that the story changed from its initial concept when he was talking about using the Crusaders for it. But if you think about it, the Black Hood is Rorschach. Mm, Yeah. And the Fly is Night Owl. Yeah, yeah. And the Shield is the Comedian. Uh And Dr. Manhattan is the Comet. I mean, it's all there. Yeah, it's there. You can find it all there. And I, I just think it's very amazing that whenever Watchmen, and I think you and I both are huge fans of Watchmen, both the book and the movie. Yes, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, movie. the movie too, yeah. I, very much so. I, I think it's amazing that everyone talks about its connection with Charlton, which they should. Yeah. But no one ever talks about how it was actually the Mighty Crusaders that started the whole Watchmen thing. Wow. Probably the single biggest influence that these characters have had on the comic book world since the creation of The Fly, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree. Outside of that, there's not a lot that they influenced in this run. They were more influenced by other comics. They tried to steal various different ideas. They tried to copy Marvel and yeah, DC. Yeah. And, well, what's popular? Right, okay, well, let's right. do that. Do that. Right. So, unfortunately, while the Red Circle line is very well known, and oftentimes these characters are now referred to as the Red Circle heroes, I don't know why they're referred to that as not the Mighty Heroes or any of the other incarnations. For whatever reason, the Red Circle moniker stuck with them. And yet, they didn't last that long. Uh, Certainly not as long as the Golden Age run lasted. And I don't think anywhere near as long as the Mighty Comics. I think there's only 55 issues in total. And that's if you don't count the Red Circle horror stuff. If you just count the the hero stuff. Can you just imagine an alternate universe out there somewhere where Archie is visited by Alan Moore. Alan Moore says, I want to do this. They say no. But then the whole spectrum idea comes comes around. They gather that bullpen of talent mm-hmm. to launch these books. And instead of cowering out, they launch, and it changes everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a universe out there. I, I believe this with every fiber of my being. There is a universe out there where the spectrum version of these characters was released around the same time as Alan Moore's Watchmen and Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. and is part of that... Part of the dark movement the that movement, changed. Yes, yes, that changed I agree. comic yep, books. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's a shame, too, because those draw- those sketches and promotional ads for the Spectrum stuff, other than the Fly book, which is a little bizarre... That's weird. Um, I, I, I would have eaten up all of them yeah. I mean, that all sounded great but sadly it, it didn't it didn't come to pass and uh well hell maybe there's a, a world out there now that you mention it where archie said yes to alan moore mm. wouldn't that be something if there was never a watchman because there was the crusaders who watches the crusaders <laughs> retrospective review on the red circle comics As we do for each episode, you know, I'll give my review on the books, especially on these, because I have recently just reread all of them. I've reread the entire run after I put the reading order together. Mm -hmm. 
And, and um, are you missing any issues from this uh, this era? I am missing two issues of the Mighty Crusaders that, fortunately, I was able to borrow from my co-host of the previous episode, Monster Kid. Oh, okay. Uh, who had those two issues, so I was able to read them. But those are the only two I'm missing from this run. Not for any reason other than I just haven't gotten them. They're easy to find. Right. So yes. Yeah, so to start off, how do you read them? How do you find these books? These are not reprinted almost anywhere. Mm. Uh, select moments and select stories were reprinted in a New Crusaders original graphic novel that came out in the 2000s called New Crusaders Legacy, I think it's called. Hmm. And there are snippets that are reprinted there, but for the most part, these are not reprinted anywhere. They've never been reprinted as far as I'm aware. Only way to get them is digging through your back issue bins. Yeah. However, when you find them, they are not pricey at all. They're very reasonably priced. I don't think I've ever paid any more than $5 for a single issue. Well, it's the 80s. It's the 80s. Yeah. And other than the first year or so's worth of these books, I don't know that I would be willing to pay more than <laughs> f- more than a couple of dollars <laughs> per issue. The the quality really declines quite a bit. And it seems to be the trend. It does. In all of these iterations of the characters, it seems that they start off well and something happens and quality just goes right out the window. Yeah, this was the this was probably the worst of them. Mm. This was probably the biggest dip. No more noticeable than in the fly. The fly and it's a shame because so many of the issues of the fly are done by Steve Ditko. Yeah. But, you know, he didn't have it anymore and mm. it's just there are things in the second half of the Red Circle run that just don't work. There are things that they just start throwing out. There are things that don't make sense. Lancelot Strong shows up again in, I, I think it's a Mighty Crusaders book or a Blue Ribbon book. No explanation about what happened to him. Hi, I'm not dead anymore. Yes, but then two months later when another book comes out, they're talk, Steel Sterling is talking about how his friend Lancelot Strong is dead and he's still dealing with that. <laughs> so it there, there were editorial issues um, that are never explained. Uh, obviously Darkling. What a great idea for a character that you never do anything with. Yeah. So there, there's issues with that as the line goes. The biggest issues that I have, the two biggest issues, number one, in the very first Mighty Crusaders, they start in that first three-issue story arc. They start to set up the concept of this group of three villains, essentially. Okay each wearing robes and each with a Roman numeral, one, two, and three on them. Okay. These guys start pulling the strings all throughout everything. They show up in random play, mostly in the shield. They sent, They tend to show up mostly in the shield stuff. The Joe Higgins shield does get his own four or five issue, something like that, six issue series, the original shield during this time. And they show up in there occasionally like they were trying to leave connections and breadcrumbs to build to something with these three characters yeah. that they were trying to develop, but the line ends and it never goes anywhere. And they never progress it enough. You don't get enough answers at any time mm. to have any kind of payoff as to why these three are doing this. So that's that's an annoyance. The other major issue that I have with these books more than anything else, the lettering, and it's not any one particular letterer, so it's not like I, I'm, I'm going to single out anyone in specific. The lettering across the line is atrocious. Oh, wow. There are times when it's hard to follow. 
especially in the later issues, it gets really hard to follow what's going on because word balloons are placed in such bizarre places that when you follow the natural progression of reading a page, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't happen a whole lot in the early part because, again, once again, it starts off strong and then dips and then it falters. And like you said, yeah, you're right. It, it does seem to be a theme with these characters, and I don't know why they cannot sustain quality. It always starts off as quality for every era that they come in, but they can't sustain it, and I just don't know why that is. As far as whether I would recommend it, well, if you're a Crusaders fan, get them all. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, you know, I would have to suggest that for everything. But if you're just, if you just have a passing interest and you're not a completist like I am, then I would suggest just getting about the first year's worth. The first four or five issues of The Mighty Crusaders, which deals with the Brain Emperor and then it deals with the Jaguar stuff and the early issues of the Fly, and the Black Hood. Those would be, I would say, the ones to go for. Okay, okay. Well, Mr. X, that uh, that does it for another episode. That's three in. Three in, wow, look at on, you. On the miniseries event. I love being a part of anything where I get to learn something. I, I've known a little bit about these characters, and the more I hear, the more fascinating they are. And I can understand now why you have such a fascination for these characters. So I, I feel like learning Some would about, call obsession. But. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't. Because if, if I call this an obsession for you, then what the hell do I do with my life? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I feel understanding these characters, I get to understand you a little bit more. And that right there is just aces for me. So thank you for having me back for this third episode in your... Mighty Crusaders miniseries. Thank you for joining me. It's always fun to geek out over this kind of stuff with you. And and we hope that all of you have enjoyed this third visit to these amazing characters. And more importantly, that you will all return and join us for part four, where we blast into the impact era of the 1990s. Ooh. I am your host... Dr. Impact. And I am the totally mysterious Mr. X. Until our next crusade, stay mighty, friends. We have reached the end of this verbal adventure, but there will be more. Be sure to bag and board the knowledge you have been given in the long boxes of your mind, safe from the dust bunnies of memory. Visit MyBigFatPollList.com for all of their four-color content and follow their social media pages to stay informed. And remember, the secrets of the universe are between the panels. I'm not even noticing. Okay, so this is sorcery number 10. Yes. There's some pirates. You've got pirates. And and when I say pirates, they're dead pirates. They're skeleton pirates. They're skeleton pirates. Now listen, listen to this beautiful prose right here. Cursed to forever wander the seven seas. The bygone buccaneers plunder the present inn. 
Pirate Island. Eh, ain't that some beauty that's, right there? That's, that's some good stuff. That's comics there, baby. That's comics. 